Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. I'm Bob Kaler, your host, and we're sharing with you the fourth of four webinars that are put on by the WCA Pathways Task Force. This one is on remaining in the United Methodist Church, and we were able to interview Brian Felker-Jones from Gary, Indiana, and Bob Zilhaver, who is a district superintendent in the Western Pennsylvania Conference, to get their perspective on what it means for them to remain in the United Methodist Church. This is a helpful webinar for those who may find themselves remaining in the UMC, either by choice or by necessity. I hope it's helpful to you. Here it is, webinar number four, remaining in the UMC. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to this fourth webinar from the WCA Pathways Task Force. This one is on staying in the United Methodist Church. We know that a lot of people in this process are going to be staying in the United Methodist Church, either by choice or because of the situation that they find themselves in. And I'm really privileged tonight to be talking with uh, two people, uh, Brian Felker-Jones, who is a pastor at uh, Gary UMC. Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm uh, from rural Indiana. Sorry about my voice today. I told Reverend Bob that I've had the worst cold I've had in years. I got it from my kids. Um, but I have a, I'm a, a, I'm a dad of four kids. Um, uh, my daughter's a senior at Taylor University in Indiana. And uh, three, three teenagers uh, are still at home. Um, the, um, I'm from rural Indiana. That's where I'm from. Went to Asbury College for in Wilmore, Kentucky. And um, then uh, Duke Divinity School. I went there with my wife. Uh, where she got her PhD. She's a professor of theology. Uh, she was at Wheaton for years and is now at uh, Northern Seminary in Lyle, Illinois. And that's how we ended up in Wheaton. Uh, and so uh, that is where I live right here in in uh, the other holy city in the United States, <laughs> Wheaton, Illinois. There we go. And Bob Zilhaver is joining us from Western Pennsylvania, back home in my area. Bob uh, is the district superintendent of the Connellsville District and has been doing that kind of work for a long time. Bob, introduce yourself to the folks. Sure. I'm uh, Bob Zilhaver. I've been married to my wife, uh, Amy, for uh, over 35 years and uh, and, uh, just uh, spent time. I I graduated from... um, Virginia Military Institute on an ROTC scholarship, got my call to ministry uh, by watching Bill Murray's Stripes, which is probably not where you would normally think you would get your call to ministry, but uh, uh, but I was on an ROTC scholarship, so I uh, spent 10 years in the Army uh, artillery and did, uh, as a physics major, so I was ended up in nuclear weapons and artillery and uh, spent 10 years, was part of Desert Storm. Last operation I, I did, I was at 10th Mountain and we were uh, uh, in Somalia and uh, did the air planning in and out of that. Uh, had my call to ministry. Uh, you know, God used that time while I was in the army, even though I thought I was, um, you know, my, my ministry was like I was supposed to be a pastor. But in that time in the army, God worked and molded me and my call and uh 
And then I, I left uh, the Army, went to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, served uh, three small rural churches as a student pastor, uh, and then uh, uh, served uh, uh, Brookville Evangelical and Lakeside United Methodist Church, both in Jefferson and Clearfield County, near, near the home of Punxsutawney Phil. And then uh, I was asked in 2017 uh, to be a, a district superintendent in the Connellsville district and uh, had a variety of experiences across the, the church, been, been to general conference, all the general conferences since 2004. That was my first delegation and just a lot of uh, neat experiences through the church. Well, I thank you both for joining us. This is uh, an important topic because we know there are going to be a lot of folks who are remaining in the UMC and they're going to remain either by choice or by necessity. So tell us about your own situations and why you'll be remaining in the United Methodist Church. Uh, let's start with you, Brian. Yeah. Um, while why I, uh, my situation is I'm the associate pastor at a, um, at a church in here in Wheaton, Illinois, the downtown church. Um, it's named, it was the founding members of the Wheatons and the Garys, where Gary, Indiana is named after, and uh, thus the name, U.S. Steel Company. Um, and it's a historic church here in, in, in Illinois, and it's uh, one we've come to dearly love. Um, the reason that I am staying, uh, the long and short of it, is my baptismal vows. Um I feel like that the United Methodist Church was the church that not only was I raised in, but I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it taught me how to know scripture and to to love it, to uh to sing the songs of of the kingdom of God. And those were the things that uh sustained me for big chunks of my life, especially in times where I was not faithful to that calling. And uh, the church was faithful to me, uh, not only the church back home in Indiana, but uh, my family and uh, the church in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, those were places where, where I was my furthest from God. They continued to show me Christ and reconciliation. Um, and for me, uh, it is simply that uh, I have not felt a release from the Holy Spirit upon that uh, baptismal vow, even more so than my um, than my ordination vows, even though I take those very, very seriously as well. Um, but uh, that that is for me, that is uh, to say nothing. I want to really emphasize that that is not a judgment or somehow I'm holier than anybody else <laughs> because I know there's a lot of people who feel that the spirit is leading them to leave. And I totally believe that, but I'm just Reverend Bob, you asked me for me and, and that's, uh, that's where it is for me. Um, I wish I, sometimes I wake up and think, I wish God would let me go, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, that is not the case. Uh, and so I, I come to it very just honestly that way. So thanks for the question. Yeah, I appreciate that. Bob. Yeah, I, I really, I guess I'll echo some of the things that Brian said is that 
Um, you know, I, I th- it took it took me uh, eighteen years for my calling to kind. Of, by the time I first was called and became a certified candidate, until I was ordained uh, in the United Methodist Church, and and I have really felt that there has been a lot of fruitful ministry that God has used me uh, to 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 spread the kingdom in the United Methodist Church. And at this moment, I mean, I just, you know, there's, I'm not going to say I did not have a lot of restless nights with God uh, saying, what, what is it that you want me to do in this time? But uh, I I, I guess I'm choosing to uh, be in the United Methodist Church because God is not finished with me yet here. And, uh, you know, and, and I have to, I have to be faithful in in that calling and uh, i think that god has work uh for me to do in a position as a district superintendent to help people find ways to faithfully express uh what uh what god is calling on their hearts to help people land safely wherever that might be and to to assist that and to uh to to most of all keep people's eyes on on Jesus and right now that's God has not released me from that call. Yeah, I I think I hear both of you saying, you know, that sense of being not being released and some have felt that, some have not and th- that's those are really honest and helpful ways of of framing it. Now obviously there's been a long history of conflict in the UMC and with evangelicals departing, a lot of uh, departures, there's going to be a major shift. And whereas evangelicals advocated for maintaining doctrinal and ethical standards with all the major caucus groups organizing around that purpose, the role of evangelicals as a small minority in the UMC is going to be different. It won't be a place of battle anymore. But what does that look like for you, and how do you envision the role of evangelicals in the United Methodist Church going forward? Bob, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I think I think the 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 main thing is to be faithful. If I was if I was going to uh, use one word, it would be stewardship, and that we are the stewards of this great treasure, this deposit. That is part of the uh, Wesleyan uh, tradition, and uh, we will be responsible for stewarding that within the uh, uh, United Methodist Church. And and sometimes, you know, for, for me, I found out early on that uh, as I uh, was in seminary, there was this controversy about uh, the virgin birth and and I, I always thought of myself as kind of a not that radical but i found out that in seminary and in 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 the ministry when i started saying hey let's say the apostles creed and say hey i really believe this um all of a sudden i found myself uh in seminary having to defend a position that that i never thought i would have to defend uh, but it was, um, these became very radical statements and, uh, you know, to believe, uh, you know, in the, you know, the virgin birth, 
to believe in the resurrection of the body, to believe that Jesus is God. And, and, and that is our heritage in the United Methodist Church. And I think we will need to be the stewards of that. And this idea of personal holiness and social holiness and how that is connected, uh, we're going to have to live that out in ways that um, we'll preach without words, that will not always be um, readily accessible or accepted, but, uh, but it will be a necessary voice in the church. God will call us to be faithful. Brian, same question. How does it look like? What does it look like for you? And how do you envision the role of evangelicals going forward? Yeah. Well, I think, Bob, you you hit on something uh, that is has is, is long been a, a tension. This is this is not a new fight. Right. Um, I would say definitely within my lifetime that uh, it. I started going to annual conference when I was in sixth grade. I was a district delegate when I was in sixth grade and I was a general conference and jurisdictional conference delegate when I was 19. So I was a freshman at Asbury college when I went to general conference. And from those first times, probably um, seventh grade was when I started noticing, Hey, wait a second. Not everybody believes the same way I do or the same way I was taught in my church or that my dad. And then as I got older and and read more, you know, uh, these tensions have been going on for a long time. I don't know if y'all have ever read, um, uh, we read it in church history, the damnation of Theron Ware. If y'all have ever read that book, Um, you know, I read that book and realize, oh, wow, the same things that we're struggling with now have literally been on the discussion for, you know, a hundred, 150 years. Um, so in, in some ways, uh, I, I realize that this has been a, a long tension and a long struggle. Um, but where I, I see method, uh, evangelicals being where they've always been. And I think part of this comes from me being from the holiness tradition, right? Um, you know, I grew up in that uh, holiness tradition where, you know, when I went to Asbury, those were all the, those people, those kids had all grown up in that too. But when I went to church camp or I went to somewhere else, I realized though, not everybody else had grown up in that tradition. So I kind of, from a fairly young age knew that um, I would be a minority within a majority, Um, just like the holiness movement was. And so I feel like that I've been prepared for that. I think what, um, and so your question was kind of like, where do we find ourselves? I think we just have to find ourselves one. We have to organize um, in a way to, to create groups and networks. The other thing is, I think we uh, try to um, uh, have a broader pan uh Wesleyan theology. Um, I, I, that's one of the things I dislike most about the United Methodism is that a lot of times they think they're the only strand of Methodism, right? And that's what I loved about going to Asbury is I realized that, man, there are all kinds of different strands of Wesleyanism and to see ourselves as one part of a bigger family. Um, I think evangelicals in the United Methodist Church are going to have to be able to embrace that, um, finding allies there. 
Um, and I also think they're going to have to embrace being able to, uh, to be the, to, to be the loyal opposition, not out of spite or wrath or hurt, but out of just being, uh, just being truthful to how they believe that God has called them to be. And I think that's probably what the future looks like, uh, as far as I can see. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that there is a biblical precedent for being part of the remnant or even embracing the image of of being in exile. I mean, when the people of Judah were allowed by the Persians to leave Babylon and head back to Jerusalem, some stayed behind on purpose. And, of course, you have Jeremiah's advice to those who are in exile. Um, what kind of insights do you think about when you think about being part of the faithful remnant. I mean, I, I serve here in the Western jurisdiction. We've been in this mode for a long time. Um, but how do you, how do you envision that, that idea of the remnant? Brian, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, in some ways I feel like, um, true that I'm being faithful in other ways. I feel like you know, I could be wrong too. Uh, and what I mean by wrong is there's just a thousand ways, <laughs> you know, uh, being here at Wheaton, there's so many other evangelicals who are, who are faithful, wonderful people, but definitely have some strong beliefs about predestination and, and, uh, things. And I think, um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, no, we aren't going to agree. And then I think, well, maybe I'm the wrong one, you know, <laughs> maybe in this discussion. Um, so I, I try to, to, to go into that humbly, not so much me thinking me the faithful, righteous one, right? But more like the uh, wheat and the tares and um, from Matthew. And so uh, I, th- I think that maybe the, the wheat and the tares may be the kind of place that we have to think of ourselves as, as being, um, yeah. Does that make any sense, Reverend Bob? Yeah, it absolutely does. I think that's a great image to think about, you know, that, that, that process of, of thinking about, you know, where am I in the midst of this? I'm going to be faithful to the process that I know, but, um, ultimately we're, we're taking a lot of things on faith, no matter who we are. So, Mm -hmm. um, that is part of it. Bob, how about you? How do you see that that role being played out? Well, I, I, I tend to hold two biblical images uh, in my mind. Uh, the, I, I think about the, the story of Abraham and uh, just, you know, hey, uh, w- w- would you do this destruction if there's 100 good people or 80 or 70, even if there's only 10? That somehow in in that God can use even a very small number of people to bring about um, salvation and to bring about uh, wholeness, and even when it you know as a as a, as a whole there is you know there's there's questions about that, but but that small remnant uh, is really kind of a, a saving grace. Uh, as a component of of something bigger, and then and then to for my my thought in you know and go then think about the churches, uh, the seven churches in Revelation, and every single one of those churches, whether they were you know kind of given a good you know out of boy or whether 
uh, you know, you're, you're going to get spit out of the mouth or nothing. There was always someone in those churches that would receive the crown. And there was always someone in those churches that weren't going to listen and not receive the crown. And, and so I, I think there's this sense that no matter where we are, that if we are faithful people, there, there, we, we not only uh, save our save, our save being saved in God's saving grace, but we let other people hitch a ride on with that, so that they they can have that witness and know that um, God has a vehicle to work work in all the, all those churches and all those areas. So what are your ultimate hopes for the United Methodist Church going forward? Bob, what do you think? Well, I will, I will, I have to tell you my story is um, really comes from my hopes. The first church I served was a, a small uh, evangelical association church in New Salem. Uh, which is outside of New Bethlehem uh, in in uh, Pennsylvania, very small, very small church. And when I when I was there, uh, on there, there was the church, there was a graveyard, and then there was a foundation on the other side of the uh, church. And and I said, you know, after a while, I've been there. Well, I said, so so what is that foundation on the other side of the graveyard? And uh, they said, you know. That used to be the school, and before that, it was a church, and and uh, the people over here, there were some people in this church, they were kind of fighting over that church, and then they went over there for a while, and then they, they came back. And um, there there was a—that uh, uh, I, I, made me study a little bit. So in 1897, in the Evangelical Association, there was there were some bishops that were uh, fighting. The best way to push it, there were the Escherites and the Dubites. They were fighting over, uh, you know, what were they going to speak German or English? How the mostly it was about money and missions and and some baptisms and stuff like that. And they they split, and uh, and so many of the churches split. But over time, uh, in that uh, New Salem church, uh, you know, the, the the parents were all in that graveyard. And so they had to get along on some things. And so uh, eventually the Evangelical Association came back together in 1928. And people will say, well, not everybody. And no, not everybody did. But there's a lot of people that came back together about 30 years later, and they joined. Uh, So the school took over that building. And then later, uh, after that school closed, they they tore that down and added an extension to the church. Now, I, I don't know if it's going to be the United Methodist Church or the Global Methodist Church, but but I know when I read the Scripture, you know, we we all stand before the throne together. That in the end, we are all united in Jesus Christ. And so, I guess, in my hope is that, uh, and it might not be in my lifetime but that uh, there will be uh, on earth, as it is in heaven, this reunion uh, of of people underneath the cross of Jesus Christ, worshiping our Lord Jesus in spirit and in truth, 
and living out, you know, the double love commandment of, of worshiping, uh, loving God and loving our neighbors. And that's, that's really my hope for the church. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Brian, how about you? What's your hope? Yeah. My hope for, for my own congregation is that we continue to be a place where people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who redeems them and can sanctify them and that they uh, can can live as new creations, uh, free from sin. That's that's my biggest hope and for for Gary Church, and, and, and it still is, and I, I hope it continues to be long after I'm gone. Um, the uh, what I hope for the United Methodist Church is absolutely the same: is that that the United Methodist Church would be continue to be a place where people come and find their salvation and their only hope in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I think you, you've both nailed um, a really important concept for us, and it's really helpful for us to hear this. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to explore this topic, because I think there are going to be a lot of people who who remain um, and who have hope and who have a, a role and a place to be. Um, it's easy for us to get caught up in the, in the separation without recognizing the, the connectivity that's still there as well and, and connected across denominational lines and in different kinds of networks and things like that as well, that there's still work to be done for the kingdom, uh, even when we don't agree uh, across the board. Um, so I, I'm just in closing, before we go to some questions here in the chat, what advice might you give to those who find themselves in this situation, either by choice or by um, by necessity? Because there are going to be some who, by necessity, are in this in this situation. Um, what would you say, Brian? Start with you. Yeah, I'll I'll, um, I'll try to answer that because I can uh, answer it because I'm I'm going through it too. My um, one uh, find a covenant group. I have a band meeting and I have a class meeting. We meet every two weeks. You know, we meet every week, right? So um, those things are, are really important to me. Um, also, I think, um, and, I, I, and I would say find a good therapist because <laughs> I think you're going to need somebody to talk to and uh, think through some of these issues. Also, so... Uh, some of that tension and th- and working through it is not all on your family. Um, and the other one is, is find places where you uh, feel like the Lord is, is, is pushing you. Um, there may be places in the church where you don't feel like you can serve with integrity, but uh, maybe there's other places where you can serve where you feel like the, the Lord is, is, has put you there. For example, uh, one place that I, that I feel called to and that the, that my congregation has put me in charge of is, is confirmation. And it is a real joy for me, confirmation and doing class meetings. Um, those are places that I see transformation in people's lives. Um, and, you know, it makes me help me go to work every day. I'm excited. Uh, I know that this is what the Lord's calling me to. So those are the places 
those that's the advice I would I would give besides constant prayer, which you know I'm sure Wesley would say, and attending the the sacraments, of course. But I I just kind of assumed those were baseline that we all understood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, Brian. Uh, Bob, how about you? What what uh, advice might you give to those who find themselves in this situation? Well, I'll say three things. First, remember, there is not a place where God is not. Mm. So that wherever we are, God God is with us. Um, the, the, the second thing I, I kind of want to say is there's, there's, there's always a place where God is working on our discipleship and who we are in, in Jesus Christ. And I, I, uh, I remember when I, I had my call and I found out I had to go and I had to serve five years in the army. Uh, and I was like, wait, no, I want to go be a chaplain. I want, I don't want to do combat arms. I want, I want to do that. But, um, I didn't get what I wanted. But then as I served that time in the army, looking back, I realized what God was doing was preparing me for the challenges and equipping me with gifts and graces that could happen in that environment that I could use in the church that, that, that I could have not, not have gotten anywhere else. So God did not waste any moment on molding me. And so even when it didn't work out the way I wanted, I knew God was, was, was going to bless. And, and, and I think the number one thing is, you know, God, we, we need to remember that we're about pursuing Jesus Christ with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that whatever label we put on that, that's what we're ultimately going to be judged by. And, and I think we have to always be looking at how do we love our neighbors. And, and one of my things that I, I am hoping that we would do is I have friends, very dear friends, who I know who will no longer be in the United Methodist Church. But I'm also uh, convicted to continue to reach out and network with them and build those bridges because we're all on the same team. We're all trying to build the kingdom of God, and uh, and I I will be cheering and praying them on as well. And I think that's that's those are the three things I would lift up. Well, I appreciate that. You guys have have really given some great insight here, and I want to go to the chat now for just a couple questions that are in there. And if you're following along, you can add your questions to the chat. But Bill asked the question. Um, is there a line that might that you would have that if it were crossed that you would no longer be able to remain UMC? Bob, is there any line to cross? I don't know if I have a, a line. Again, I have to kind of tell stories. I, I, I um, and again, I'll go back to the army. I, I felt like I was really called to the army when I was very young. That's what I wanted to do. I went to military school, had the RTC scholarship. I had this call. I kept looking at it at different places along the way. But, but at the same time, I was still uh, pursuing, you know, when, when was it, when was God going to be finished with me in the army? And, and I can, I mean, I can remember the day and uh, it was, it was up in Fort Drum. It was about 60 below. 
And, you know, I had like slept outside, you know, over five years of my life, I had slept outside and it was just a day. It was kind of like a Forrest Gump running. And he says, I'm, I'm done running. It's like, I just knew this, this was over and God wanted me to do something else. So it wasn't an event. It wasn't, you know, this one thing, it wasn't like a, a principal line because my integrity is between me and Jesus. Like no one can take my integrity, my salvation away. That that's, that's, that's only between me and Jesus. And, uh, uh, but I, I just knew at that moment I was done with the army and this was the time for me to move. And I think that's when I'll know I'm done with the United Methodist church is when that moment happens and and it hasn't happened for me yet so i only know one thing to do is just keep going 100 percent where god has planted me uh and and god has blessed that so that's what that's kind of my my line brian same question yeah yeah that's a good question whoever wrote that um you know, I was on a podcast with my friend, uh, the Reverend Dr. Andy Miller. He's the uh, associate associate dean at Wesley Biblical Seminary. We were both uh, we were both at Asbury together. Um, I was his senior class sponsor, and uh, anyway, he had me on because he just wanted to hear about someone who's staying. And he asked that same question, pushed me on it several times. So if you if you want to find that where I where I do it a longer, or um, it's called uh, "More to the Story" by Reverend Doctor Andy Miller. But um, uh, basically, my, the short answer is it's hard for me to nail down a place because. If, not to get too many in the weeds, but I think a lot of y'all know because of the restrictive rules, uh, changing the constitution of the United Methodist Church is very, very difficult. Um, and that means uh, in practical purposes that um, sometimes things get retained that people aren't, don't believe in anymore or, um, and, and that is a really, really hard thing. Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't know if the book of discipline all the time reflects it. So like, uh, like Reverend Bob was saying earlier, I don't know if there's a time where I can say, well, it's the virgin birth, right? Cause I don't think that's ever going to get changed out of the United Methodist book of discipline. I just don't think they'll ever have the constitutional votes to change anything like that, which is a structural problem within the church. So I think you have to go more to the, uh, do I feel like that God is always going to make me stay in the United Methodist church? And I don't think the answer to that is a resounding yes. I don't know, but I know that's where the Lord has called me to right now. Thank you both. Uh, Peter Lau from the Chinese caucus says the concept of concept of remnant is worth further development. It's helpful for those Chinese United Methodists who are forced to stay to see light and hope. So yeah, I think that idea is really, really helpful um, to think about, and and you you've both articulated I think really well what th- that there is a role for evangelicals in the ongoing UMC and I think it's important for those who you know are are moving toward the GMC to remember that that there is going to be um, some faithful people across the across the board um, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this particular 
episode is to is to give some voice to that because I think there is we tend to get into all or nothing thinking, and um, it's really important for us to to think more broadly than that and and to have some nuance with it. Well, can I can I jump in on that Chinese caucus? Yeah, absolutely. I was looking at it, and and I think there's a lot of um, I think a lot of hope and symbolism in that that there is this caucus that connects between uh, different branches that give support and nurture. And, uh, and, and, and for me, I was very blessed that in the WCA, uh, I was part of the global convocation. And one, one of the, the, the statements that came out of that is, you know, there is, there's a sense that the WCA can be this bridge that for those that are still remaining in the United Methodist Church, uh, to, to be this bridge that, that, that helps us maintain traditional values. And I forget exactly how the language worked on that, but I, 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 I remember walking out of that very positive to understand it, that, uh, the Westlake Covenant Association was, was committed to helping people that needed to, to, to leave the United Methodist Church, but it was also, in a sense, and I think that's why we're here tonight, that it can be this bridge that kind of maybe uh, like the Chinese caucus is, is bringing encouragement, can bring encouragement to traditional voices wherever wherever they might be. And, you know, I think about seedbed and just all these other things that, that are part of the, um, what I would call the evangelical traditional Orthodox movement that wherever we find ourselves, uh, we can be bound together by that. And I think the Chinese caucus is a great example of that. All right. I think we're about to wrap up here. Any last words you'd like to give? Brian, let's start with you. Uh, no, I, I thank you for the opportunity. And I, uh, my two messages would be the two groups of people. One, those of you who are leaving the United Methodist Church, I want to say thank you. And I want to tell you how much, what a privilege it's been to uh, be your colleague in, in this connection. And I think we're still colleagues in the greater connection of not only the Methodist Church, but more importantly, the, 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 the Church Catholic. And I, um, I, I just want to say that I bless you and, and uh, I, I wish all the best for you. Um, especially as you go forward making disciples of Jesus Christ. And the other one is to um, my colleagues at the United Methodist Church. Uh, I'm just going to continuously work to build bridges and um, to, to make it so that we can, we can complete that mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And I'm not going to be in an adversarial point of view, but always trying to bring a different point of view. But one I hope that allows us all to work to making, to, to helping people find Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Bob, any last words? My only last word is, no matter where we find ourselves, uh, let us be faithful to the one who, who called us, who saved us and help us uh, everything that we might do before our Lord Jesus Christ in the glory of the Father. 
I want to thank Bob Zohaver and Brian Jones for joining us this evening. As always, you can email us at wcapathways at gmail.com for more information. We'll have the show posted up here right afterward and an opportunity for you to pass that along to others. It's a great conversation to continue. Thank you both. Thank you for joining us here on the WCA Pathways webinar and on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association.